Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. My favorite shows on TV have 12 minutes of advertising. I can't get behind that kind of time. Eat quickly, drive faster, make more money now. I can't get behind that. My kids say, he said to me, and I'm like, and he's like, and she's like. It's all, he's all, she's all. I can't get behind that kind of like English. That'll be six to eight weeks before delivery. The rising oceans, the warming temperatures. The dying polar bears. <laughs> it's a good thing I have a large appetite for chaos because I've already planned a rather chaotic show for, for today. And then there's like, well, I'm having a technical problem that would be kind of instrumental to the doing of this show. So let me just begin by just talking about uh, talking my way up to this. Maybe I should begin by talking about like why I would want to do a chaotic or somewhat different show. So we did this thing here at the station called, or we're doing this thing right now at this company called, um, am I good there? Is that good? Yeah, looks good. All right. Well, we'll we'll find out. Yes, I think that's good. All right. I'm not going to tell you that story then. I'm going to go to something else. I've been thinking a lot about James Comey. I guess we've all been thinking a lot about James Comey. And this is the only point during this show where I'm going to talk, I think anyway, about anything resembling news. Um, so, like last week, I was kind of dismissive of James Comey, um, and so I've been listening to him talk in long form, and I particularly recommend the interview that he did with Michael Barbaro on The Daily. I probably shouldn't be getting you to listen to podcasts that aren't part of our programming lineup, but uh, The Daily is really good, and Michael Barbaro is a very, spe- a very special kind of interviewer, and he just sort of got Comey talking about how he thinks, and you know... Um, Comey is actually one of these guys I mean I, I know he's being talked about all kinds of different ways but when you really listen to him talk and you really pay attention to how he's talking um, you can get away from that perception that he's kind of this self-congratulatory guy you know who's really into I don't know that, he, that he's this school marmish lecturing prig um, in fact, what I think he is is a guy who really does think seriously about why he does what he does and why he has done uh, what he's done. Uh, he's an unusually open and reflective person. I mean, we're living in an environment right now where everybody knows, each person knows exactly what he or she thinks most of the time and pretty strongly. Um, but most people don't necessarily know, and I would include myself in this category, why they think what they think. They don't think about what they think or why they think it. Um, and, and Comey's unusual that way. I mean, he really does. You can just hear him in a very open way, kind of working through these decisions. And the thing that it reminded me, oddly enough, although I uh, reminded me of, oddly enough, although I need to kind of go back and it's been a long time since I've read the Iliad. But my recollection of the Iliad is that there's an awful lot of conversations that go on in the Iliad about how to figure out what the right thing to do. The Greeks had this word arete, which means excellence, but that's kind of not exactly what it means. Like a lot of those Greek words, there isn't an English equivalent that's precise. But they spend a lot of time, like what, what does it mean to be like really a great leader? And it includes notions of valor and strength, but it also includes, I think, certain notions of right conduct. 
and how you comport yourself. And Comey seems to be that kind of person. And, and I, I just made me aware of the fact that we've become overall, I think, a less reflective society. Maybe we were never all that reflective, but I, I notice it more and more. I notice it in myself, too. I notice my own sh fuse getting shorter. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit to you guys today about how it is that we go about talking to one another. And so I'm now going to give the phone number out. We have some confidence that that will work. <laughs> uh, the number is 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. I'm specifically interested in this question, all right? I find that, and I wouldn't be, I'd be surprised if I were alone in this sense, that although I have a lot of conversations on the radio and certainly on social media, which is probably the worst place to have a conversation and elsewhere. I don't have as many good conversations as I used to. And it seems that very quickly, it's almost like we're dogs. We kind of sniff each other and kind of figure out which camp the other dog is in, you know. Uh, and, and, and we're pretty good at figuring out quickly how we disagree. In fact, I think it's the first thing we figure out about each other when we, when we run into each other on social media or a lot of other places, too. The, maybe the first question is, ooh, do I disagree with this person? How do I disagree with this person? A and, and then trying to repair that disagreement, we, we think that that's what we're doing. But what we're trying to do, I think, is penetrate that other person. <laughs> I mean, in, intellectually, I mean. I mean, what you do with your spare time is your own business. But no, I mean penetrate that person's um, intellectual armor. Uh, and, and that's not really talking. To, in other words, I'm going to give you a more specific example. So you're talking to somebody who's, I, this came up, uh, I was proposing the notion of this show on Facebook today. And, and one of my regular commenters was talking, and I was talking about the fact that we need to be able to talk among ourselves to just about every, everybody. Um, and one of the, my regular commenters said that that was a worthy idea, uh, but I had mentioned, among other things, Trump voters, that the Trump hater has to be able to talk to the Trump voter, talk with the Trump voter. And so this person said, well, Trump voters, maybe they're a special category. They're like a cult. And I said, well, it, wouldn't it be the case if we're going to go by this idea that I'm laying out here? Wouldn't it be the case that whoever we think of as those people, those people are a cult, those people are impossible, those people are the worst ever, those people are irredeemable, wouldn't it be the case that those are the people we really need to talk to? I mean, it's pretty easy to talk to the other people. Although the other part of this that I find is, well, let me just finish that thought. <laughs> and so uh, she, she said, well, she goes, I find that when I have a conversation with a Trump voter, you know, it's almost impossible to penetrate their defenses. <laughs> I thought, well, if your goal at the beginning of a conversation is to penetrate their defenses, you're probably not going to have much of a conversation. Um, so, again, I, I'm opening this up uh, to phone calls. But believe me, if you don't think that I could talk for the whole 49 minutes, you don't know me very well. Uh, the number here is 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. My question to you is, how do we become a society that does talk and does debate in a good way? And, and that, I mean, one of the rules for any kind of conversation like this one, and I suggested this to the, uh, the woman who was talking about penetrating the Trump voters, um, is you, instead of starting there, you have to start, you have to figure out what do you have in common? How many things can you identify that you have in common? Because believe it or not, 
even if you really hate President Trump, you have some things in common with Trump voters. I mean, your carbon-based life forms, and you kind of work forward from there uh, until you hit walls, uh, so to speak, that you can't traverse. But, but you might be able to work quite a ways forward from there if, in fact, we can stop. And by the way, I am as guilty of this as anybody else. If we can stop categorizing people first and demonizing other people first. And, 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 and I find that I have some of the worst conversations, not with Trump voters and not with conservatives, but with people who are left of center in a way that I am left of center, but not in exactly the way that I'm left of center. I have this old thing that I've been saying now for three or four decades that you know, a two seed in the spirit predestinarian Baptist can have a much worse fight with a one seed in the spirit, predestinarian Baptist, than that same person can have with a Jew or a Muslim, because there's just enough in common so that you can really, you have some terms over which, and some ideas over which you can fight. Um, that the closeness uh, creates friction and abrasion. You have the worst fights with those people. I would like to parenthetically add that I know that there's no such thing as a one seed in the spirit, predestinarian Baptist. So if you were about to email me with that fact, I'm just using it as kind of a rhetorical device. I know that there also is such a thing as a two-seat in the spirit, predestinarian Baptist. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked. But anyway, I do find that I have worse struggles sometimes with that sort of person, sometimes because that sort of person seems less <laughs> willing to, to have a conversation. Uh, anyway, uh, phones are ringing. People apparently do want to talk about this. The number is 860 I want to say one more thing about this because, uh, well, because I don't have a phone call really ready to go yet, but also because I think this is important also because somehow or other, and you've heard me say this other times on the radio, somehow or other, we have to find a way to share this country, you know? I mean, there are about 66 million people who voted for Hillary Clinton, about 63 million people who voted for Donald Trump. Neither one of those groups is emigrating from here. <laughs> They're not going anywhere. We're all going to be sitting here in this country for the foreseeable future. So somehow or other, we got to figure out what it is that we do have in common or how we live in a space where we don't think the same way. Uh, all right. So uh, here we go. We're going to start uh, talking to people on the telephone, and I'm going to start with Andrew in Middletown. Hi, Andrew. You're on the air. Hi. How are you? Oh, all right. Uh, thanks. I've been listening to the show for years. It's great to finally get on. Um, my sister is a hardcore Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. and I have, with her and her husband, a lot of pretty fierce debates over the years. Yeah. And it's just gotten to the point where I talk to her, and it pretty much goes to the whataboutism, yep. where she turns it around on me and says, well, what about Hillary? Hillary did this. And it's gotten to the point where I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what else to say to her because I come to her with facts that she comes back at me with kind of objections for project that. Well, you know, here's some interesting things about what you're saying to me. One thing about the conversations that you're describing and, and one thing about the relationship that you're describing is – you love your sister, right? I mean, that's not you're not you know you're not going to lose your sister over this. No, I would yeah, assume. we're very close. Yeah, you're very close to your sister. You got a lot of other stuff in common. You both love your the rest of your family, your parents, whoever. So that's like you're already way ahead of everybody else. You know, the, I mean, the, the, these conversations 
um, can't supersede the bonds that you have. And I, one thing that I would sort of say is, like, once again, I would, I, my suggestion would, would be instead of showing up with the facts, um, show up with questions. You know, have you ever said to her, you know, just tell me, like, the day you voted for Donald Trump, like, you know, where were you in your life at that point? How were you feeling? How, you know, what was going through your mind? Um, I sometimes if you ask people questions, <laughs> You know, as opposed to saying, let me tell you why you're wrong about this. Um, I don't know. I mean, does that does that resonate at all? Have you had that kind of conversation where you seemed genuinely curious? Yeah, I do. I try to ask her questions about why she voted the way she did and why she supports him still. Mm -hmm. And it usually just ends up being that she doesn't like the current system that we have and she thinks that he's going to shake it up. It seems to me that she's not paying attention to the news and honestly she's a person who isn't well off has like a lot of problems gets a lot of government Mm -hmm. and to me it looks like she's shooting herself but but well yeah no i get that i get everything that you're saying on the other hand i bet you don't like everything about the current system either i mean i bet you didn't even like everything about the current system on november 6th 2016 right absolutely so maybe that's also a place to start like maybe figure out what it is that you would both agree doesn't work, you know, or didn't work, um, you know, because like, I mean, I was talking before about how the 63 million voters who voted for Trump are not going to leave America. Well, you got you got one of them for a sister and you guys aren't. Neither one of you guys is going to move to Australia and never talk to the other one. Yeah. So so you got years of conversations ahead. And, you know, I mean, maybe sometimes also just letting somebody believe the thing that, you know, you can't change their mind about Um is kind of a gift. You know, you couldn't even think about it that way. Here's a gift I'm going to give my sister. I don't think I would tell my sister that because it might seem a little patronizing. <laughs> but uh, here's a little gift I'm going to say. You know, I'm I, I'm going to let you just have that belief and let's talk about some stuff that we both agree with. But, Andrew, first of all, I'm so glad that you did call in. We've been actually trying to get a hold of you. Um, so I'm glad you called in. Okay, thank you. Okay, phone's breaking up a little bit anyway. All right, look at all these people. Uh, our number is 860-275-7266. I've been trying to get a hold of all of you, actually. Um, all right, well, here, here's a, here's, here's a chance for me to put my principles in action. Here's Roger from New Hartford. Hi, Roger. Hey, how you doing? Good. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm perturbed. <laughs> what is that? Well, basically, you get on in your first few statements that you say on the on the radio show is, that Trump voters are a cult. And I said, think, you know, how ridiculous is that? No, no, no. You, you, did you understand that I was quoting a woman on Facebook, that I was not personally yeah, saying well, that? Even, okay, well, not you particularly, but if anybody's out there thinking that, they're ridiculous. Over 50% of this nation voted Trump in. Here's the problem with people who are Trump haters. They can hate Trump all they want, but they need to start respecting the fact that half of Americans voted him into office. We're not deplorable. We're not Whatever you all want to call us, racists, we're not mean people. We just want our vote to be respected. And you other half of the Americans out there, you need to start looking your neighbor in the eye because he's a Trump voter. And the guy that's not even telling you who he is, he's a Trump voter too. And you, Hillary Clinton lovers, let me tell you another thing. You sit there and you can sit there in all your grandeur and think, oh, she should have won. If she'd have won this election, there'd have been nothing wrong with this political system. But since she lost, there's something wrong with it. This political system has worked for over 200 years in this country. And for all the idiots out there saying that there's something wrong with it, they need to take a look back on history, 
start learning their history, start learning what electoral college is and how it works to benefit all of us when you take out the favorability of New York and California and you put in the rest of the deplorables in between. Right. Okay. Let me just let me just jump in here. Hey, Roger. Roger. Hey, Roger. Let me just Roger. Roger. Let me just jump in so it's a conversation. Okay. So he was. I'm going to put him back on here in a second. But uh, he was in a way, in a funny way, until he got to the part about the idiots and stuff like that. Roger was sounding a lot like me. This is stuff that I say all the time. Is that you know who the Trump voters are? It's like the guy who's really nice to you at the car dealership, you know, when you take your car in to be serviced, you know, or it might be the person who does your hair, um, you know, if you've never had a political conversation with that person. Um, th- those those are the Trump voters. And Roger's absolutely right about that. There's a lot of people that you deal with and talk to all the time, but you don't deal with them and talk to about politics. They wouldn't volunteer the information that they were Trump voters. Uh, but there's I can almost guarantee you, just given what the vote was. I mean, he, we're here in Connecticut where the Trump vote was maybe a little bit lower. But I can almost guarantee you that you know a Trump voter and that you like that person. You just don't know that that person is a Trump voter. And the the basis on which you deal with them is a very different basis. Uh, You know, it's it's about whatever it is that you deal with them about. It's about your roof or whoever it is that you're talking to. And that's a really important thing to remember uh, is is exactly that. Okay, I'm going to go over and see if Roger's still there. Hi, Roger. I'm back. We we need to start just liking each other again and respecting each other's opinions. Whether we like their opinion or not, we need to at least respect the fact that they have one and want to express it. And please, stop demonizing Trump voters. I totally agree with you, Roger, but were you aware that you talked about a bunch of idiots a little while ago? Yeah, you know what? That's the way you guys are acting. Well, no, see. No, 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 no. Okay, Roger, you're not listening. You're not. Listen listen to me for a second. Listen to me for a second, Roger. I'm prepared to spend this entire show encouraging people not to use language like that about Trump voters. And and they're going to say exactly the same thing to me that you're saying to me about Hillary voters. You're totally right. You get what you give. So, you know what? Start giving and you'll start getting back what you give. All right. Now, this is plain and simple. You know what? Stop attacking our president because he's legitimate because over half of this country voted him in. All right. My name is Roger Fred from New Hartford, Connecticut, and I'm a Trump supporter, and I love him. And all you liberals need to get on board or get off. All right. I don't think, Roger, that you've entirely succumbed to the kumbaya spirit I'm trying to establish on this show. But see, people do this all the time, and they do it on both sides. They say, look, I'm per- perfectly prepared to have a rational conversation if those idiots over there will just stop being such jerks. And I hear that from liberals, and I hear it from Roger and people, people of Roger's stripe. And everybody understands. I wish I could use this quote from, uh, from George Carlin, but I can't say it on the air without losing my job. But he, let's, I'll substitute a word. Uh, he, he, at one point, he was talking about um, poop and stuff. And he said, isn't it interesting that their stuff is poop, but your poop is stuff? And that's how, that's how everybody is. The other guy, <laughs> the other guy is full of poop. You're, you just got some stuff you need to say. And, and it's true on both sides of the aisle. And, and as much as I want to welcome Roger into my circle of humanity, he's got to get rid of some of that anger, too. Uh, he's got to be able to talk about the other side with some level of respect or affection or whatever. Anyway, OK, we're going to take a quick break. I've already screwed up the clock here. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. Guns and knives, they're taking drugs and each other's lives, killing each other with 
All right, we're spending today's show with no guests scheduled, and my goal is to see if I can talk to people about talking to people. And so far, I'd say it's close to an abject failure. No, that's not true. Uh, we're going to make some progress here. Um, all right, so our number is eight. There's a lot of people on, waiting online already, but I'll give the number out anyway. 860-275-7266. Let's try Saren in Farmington. Hi, Saren. Hi, Colin. Uh, uh, thank you for giving me an opportunity to uh, put on my, uh, my opinion. Uh, I, uh, I want to explain to you that I'm come from foreign, from like Cambodia, I said. Uh, I'm actually used to be a Democrat, and then I turned to a Republican. Uh, the thing what I don't understand about people is that I don't think those people out there that who are playing sport. If you are playing sport, you should respect sport. The same thing just like you're running for government or congressman or any senator. So you run, you win, and you lose. The same thing as a sport. Do you think it's a sport and our country is the same thing, win or lose? So if you respect one another, let's say you lose, and then move on. If you win, celebrate it. That's all. Don't fight, don't argue over it. The world out there, it needs help. Not sit down here and talk and argue about it. That's what my opinion. All right, that's a great opinion. Um, I mean, I think that's true, too. I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, it's also, it's built into our system that we're going to criticize our elected leaders. Uh, and uh, I would have said this to Roger if he wasn't already so not calm. Um, but we're going to criticize our elected leaders. Um, we're going to criticize them more if they come from a different partisan background than we do. And that's okay. I mean, it's okay if we do that. Um, I do agree that, that you got to live with the results of the election. I will say, just as a slight, just to plant a little seed there with you, Saren, one of the things that alarmed me about this last electoral cycle was that, A, Donald Trump kept threatening to lock up his opponent, uh, and B, there was a moment, we've almost forgotten about it in all the turmoil, where he also said he might not be willing to live with the uh, results of the election. He said that he would keep us in suspense about whether he would accept the results of the election. He's the only major political candidate in the United States in, uh, in its history that I can think of who ever said anything like that. So I totally agree with you, Saren, that, we, that when, when the votes are counted and the electoral votes are counted and somebody wins, I mean, that's how the system is. And Roger's right. That's exactly how that system works. It's set up to work that way. We all know how it works, or we should. Um, that then you accept that and you move forward. And the person who won the most electoral votes is the new president. But it is worth as a little asterisk <laughs> next to that statement that the person that we are being asked to to deal with on that level right now was the person the least committed to that idea. <laughs> he was more committed to the idea of A, locking up his political opponent and B, suggesting that he might not accept the results of the election. All right. So um, who am I talking to right now? I'll just grab somebody, I guess. Here's uh, John in Hartford. Hi, John. Hi, Colin. Um, I wasn't going to call in today, but then after hearing the start of the show, I kind of felt like I had to. So I feel like I come from a very Republican town. I've run for office there. I go to town meetings all the time. Often I am the town. I'm the only one at meetings. I feel like we're in a place historically in the way we're teaching our kids where we feel like leadership and government is something that's out there. It's out there in the way that, you know, the Red Sox and the Yankees are. And it's not us, and we don't own it. And that really 
bugs me. Um, you know, we are the government, but it's set up. Everything in the media and everything around us is that it's it's something else out there that that is unattainable, that we can't make a difference, and that. I feel like is really the frustration of Trump voters. It's certainly my frustration with Trump voters is that we want somebody to lead, but we don't want to put the work in ourselves or we don't know how to. And I don't even know what solution to that is, but you know, that's where I feel like we're at right now. And it's, it's pretty, it is pretty scary. I think you're making a great point. And I think the other thing that we do is to scapegoat everybody else, too. Every, I mean, it's kind of like Facebook, you know? You know who's a really terrible person? Mark Zuckerberg. Well, what did Mark Zuckerberg offer everybody? Something that was free, that they could get a lot of use of, that they didn't really want to think too much about, that they were happy to click on terms of service that they didn't understand. I mean, nobody wants to accept any culpability in just embracing this thing that looked really attractive and free, and now they're stuck with a whole bunch of things that they don't like very much. And, and you're absolutely right that we are very quick to excuse ourselves, either from duty or culpability, and, and cast disproportionate burdens of that, those kinds on everybody else, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I'm not saying that I'm some sort of hero because I ran for office, but I was just frustrated that nobody else was doing it. And, right. and I got to say, and this is something I come, a point I come back to all the time, is it's really frustrating that we have only Red Sox and Yankees, Ford and Chevy. Democrat and Republican, and that there are structures in place where if I want to run as an unaffiliated candidate, I have to go through incredible hoops to do that, that totally. other candidates for the parties aren't. And totally. We're, do, we're going to do a whole show about this on Wednesday. Every uh, cycle we try to do something called Get to Know Your Fringe Candidates, which is not their favorite term for it, but we're going to do a show uh, about exactly what John's talking about, which is ballot access, how hard it is. Um, and it's also worth noting that our system, and this may be one of the structures he's talking about, uh, is it's also set up in such a way that um, a major presidential third party candidate could be the ruination of the country, at least in the sense that uh, it could throw the election very easily into the House of Representatives. Um, people don't think about that. Like the last really big third party candidate was Ross Perot, who got, I think, 19 percent of the vote. He got zero electoral votes, but he, so he wasn't a problem. But if you're a successful enough third party candidate so that you start to siphon off a lot of electoral votes, um, you, you could we could wind up with with a situation where no candidate uh, had the majority of electoral votes. And that constitutionally uh, winds up doing something you don't want to do. Anyway, we're going to play a little song for you about why you should donate when these nice people talk to you. I'm going to be back in about five minutes. Two, three, four. Coming up to number, you should call it. First, go find your credit card or wallet. Make sure you pull over if you're driving in a car. It's a perfect time to donate to WNPR. All right, I'm back. Oh, I thought we had C's here. We don't. I've I've complete. I've, no, you want to do it? You want to play it? Go ahead. Go ahead and play it. Since there are no guests on this episode, we're offering today's show at a 20% discount. You're very welcome. Betsy Kaplan produced today's show with help from me, Kion Wolf, and our intern, Julius Brown. Amanda Fish just did whatever she wanted to. The part of Bill Curry was played by Pablo Neruda. On tomorrow's show, heaven. And now, back to Colin. All right, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> you just heard the fourth wall break there a little bit. See, what happens is when we're in this uh, fundraising format, we kind of forget. I mean, all of us kind of forget exactly where we are on the show because, I don't know, you don't care, but it, it messes up our clock. Uh, all right, so we're we're doing a kind of open-ended conversation here. I just do really want to hear – I want to hear what people think about having conversations and what the, what, what the difficulties are. In, in, and I don't think, by the way, this is just a kind of political Trump-Clinton kind of thing. I mean, I can give you some other examples of ways in which I feel like our ability – to just kind of stay anywhere on the same page with another person or to find that one little crescent of the Venn diagram where your circle overlaps with the other. And in fact, if it's it's worse than that, it's it's the case that if there is one little crescent on the Venn diagram where you don't overlap, people get more worked up about the little, that little crescent than they do about the vast amount of overlap because we've turned into outrage hobbyists. Uh, and, and we've turned into people who who really are looking for the moat in the other person's eye. All right. So I'll stop babbling. I've got all these other things that I just want to talk about. <laughs> if nobody called up, I really was pr- quite prepared to talk for 49 minutes. But I guess that's not going to happen. Here's Chuck in Simsbury. Hi, Chuck. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Very interesting uh, show today. One of the things that strikes me, I actually have my own radio show on WPKN, and I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about the topic for a long time and talking about it on my show as well. And I, my show is called The Emotion Roadmap, Take the Wheel and Control How You Feel. And I, I love trying, that show. I'm constantly trying to help people to deal with challenging um, emotions. And the emotions that came into, uh, into play right after the election have been unbelievably powerful. And uh, you had made the statement that you didn't think that you made that President Trump said that he might not accept the election results. I think a lot of the country haven't accepted the election results, uh, and it's not President Trump. I think one of the things that strikes me about what you began talking about is the idea. I see myself these days as, as somewhat moderate. I support something called No Labels, a group that's really interested in bipartisanship. I, if Hillary had won, I would have been okay with Hillary winning, and I was okay with Donald Trump winning. I think that each of them represented different things, actually, that I valued. And I thought one of the things that Trump did and has done is the tax plan. I actually am a big fan of that, and I'm actually a fan of some of the things that have happened overseas in foreign policy, like what's going on in North Korea right now. But I find that my friends that are liberal, if there's anything that I say that is in support of anything that the president might do, um, they instantly attack it and me. If I find with my conservative friends, if I say something like, hey, I support Planned Parenthood, I actually think they do some good work, um, or I support um, the environment in ways that Pruitt, I think, is, you know, there's certain things about the president that he does today. I think are really problematic, but there's also some things I think that were pretty well done. Right. So this is the point that Chuck that I was making before about how uh, if there's a tiny little crescent of disagreement on our respective Venn diagram circles, that's where we go. We go right to that crescent of disagreement. I'll tell you a really quick story. Also, um, I feel bad that no women have called up so far today. I'd like to have some woman voices. I don't know. Do we even have open lines we can put the woman vo- women voices are? They'll deal with that in the control room. Julius and Betsy Kaplan, they got that under control. Uh, so um, what was I going to say? So I'll give you a quick example from last Friday. So last Friday, this has got nothing to do with politics as far as I know anyway. <laughs> Last on Fridays, as you may know, we do a, a, a segment called the Nose or an episode called the Nose. And I, we book, we get three people who are good talkers, uh, and we often don't know what we're going to ask them to talk about. 
And in some cases, we don't even know till it's pretty close to showtime what they're going to talk about. And so one of the things that I was saying all week long to our nose panel was, wow, Kendrick Lamar, uh, the hip hop genius, uh, won the Pulitzer Prize. The first artist, anything like that, to win the Pulitzer Prize for music. Pulitzer Prize for music has tend to go, tended to go to Elliot Carter and Ned Roram and these, you know, serious classical or or avant-garde composers um or maybe a jazz composer like ornette coleman but the you know nobody any nobody anything remotely like richard rogers didn't win one uh you know <laughs> um popular artists don't win pulitzers so this is kind of interesting that, that kendrick lamar did and they kept saying look we don't know anything about kendrick lamar it just sort of happened we had three people on the panel who didn't know anything about kendrick lamar and then i finally said you know what that might be worth talking about the fact that on the one hand, he's a big enough genius so that the five-member jury on the Pulitzer said, nope, this is the most significant musical work of the year. We're giving it the Pulitzer, even though nobody liked this. You know, Bob Dylan never got a Pulitzer. Stevie Wonder never got a Pulitzer. We're giving this thing a Pulitzer. He's, he's that big a genius. But there's also a huge, like, smart, you know, pretty engaged people. I managed to find three of them by accident. Don't have any connection to his work. That's kind of interesting. So I decided we would have that conversation. And so what happened? Uh, what happened was uh, that, it, you know, well, it was it was what it was, but people got upset about that. They got upset that I had three. It happened. We usually have a pretty diverse panel. It also just happened this particular week that all three panelists were white. And like one person was on social media saying that was white privilege that, you know, that these people didn't feel any need to know about Kendrick Lamar. And I said, well, no, first of all, don't blame them. I forced them to have that conversation. They didn't even want to talk about it. And it's not white privilege if you don't happen to, sh you know, get some music musical thing or, you know, you don't share somebody else's musical tastes. And it's worth talking about without starting to throw around really aggressive terms like white privilege. Uh, it's worth talking about, like, why that would be. I wanted to have that conversation. And the conversation was more valuable to me than any particular valence I might find within within the conversation. The conversation came first. Um, and But there were people who kind of couldn't handle that. <laughs> it was kind of like, how dare you have people on who don't who don't think that think the way that I do about Kendrick Lamar. And we got to get away from that. We got to be able to say, no, the thing we value the most right now is not what I think or what you think or whether I'm going to win this argument. The thing we got to value is the conversation itself. The conversation is the thing that we're going to put first. All right. So here goes uh, some f uh, phone calls here. Oh, good. We got a lady who's going to be coming up here pretty soon. I should give out the number 860 Seven two six six eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Here's a Martin in Mansfield. Hi, you're on the air. Hello, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Very interesting topic today, and just like John, a previous caller, I wasn't really intending to call to voice my opinion, but I listened to him, and it seems like he is someone I could find common ground with. Certainly, I'm not a Trump supporter, not a Trump voter. And what I would like Trump supporters to explain to me, you know, my father is a diehard Republican. Mm -hmm. I'm not. He always raised all of his children to support the president, to support the presidency. This has become a very, very difficult thing for me and actually for him because during Donald Trump's campaign, he openly – said that he did not respect 
the four tenets of the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. It was very, very much out in the open. I do understand that we want to take control and have ownership of our political process, but if that's what we're being told right from the beginning, is this the guy? And in his presidency, and he keeps doing that, is that really the guy? Right, and I, we, I think that's do, a very— We do need to have this yeah. conversation, but is this the guy who should be leading us? Absol- that's what really, really hurts. Yeah, in my opinion, Martin, absolutely not. He's absolutely not the guy who should be leading us. I think he's a terrible president. I'm sorry every day that he's president. But one thing that I try to do when I'm on social media or anywhere else is make a distinction between the guy— and his voters, uh, because people vote for a candidate for all kinds of reasons, and they don't always, you know, think it through all that carefully, or, or they have a reason you don't know about, and they're willing to look past some things that are deal breakers for you. And that's one of the things that I, I've sort of been trying to do a little bit lately, as I converse with people, especially on social media, where you know the knives come out pretty easily, is say, okay, but can we make a distinction? Like, however much we really dislike this president and really think he's got America on the wrong track, and I am absolutely, I personally am in that camp. I don't want to think about all 63 million of his voters that way. You know, they're not all him. They're a bunch of people who voted for him, and they may have had all kinds of reasons uh, that we don't know about. And if we don't have that conversation, we'll never know them. And, and I do think that, that hitting them all with the same boxing glove that maybe we feel like hitting him with sometimes is probably going to make us move backwards instead of forwards. Here's uh, Patrice from Canton. I'm so glad to get a person with two X chromosomes on the air before the show is over. Hi. Hey. Well, don't make any presumptions there, Colin. Okay. <laughs> so listen, I am um, <clears throat> no pressure on me supporting the whole uh, female opinion here, but um, one of the lessons for me in this uh, current climate is that some of us, that is people who are not fond of Trump, sound very much like people that I thought were, you should excuse the expression, nuts when they were so against Obama. And I'm very aware of that, of the extremism and the anger and the frustration. And it only builds because there are so many layers of this from I mean, the question of whether the election was legitimate and the Russian influence, which most of the people on my side, quote unquote, believe existed, that Russia had a big influence. And the people on the other side think that's nonsense. And the more we push in one direction, the more they push in the other direction. So that's very painful, but instructive for me to think about when you get so angry that you can't hear the other side, that you don't believe them. And, of course, all that is all fed into by Facebook and other social media having people, um, you know, only in these uh, distinct silos. So you are in a position where you hear from both, quote unquote, sides. And I'm afraid that my feed on Facebook, the people I have not blocked many people, but many people have probably blocked me because I used to be rather reasonable and trying to be down the line and discussing political things. But since Trump came into office, I have difficulty with that. So I think it, you know, it becomes this, uh, this buildup of all of these walls between us, not just one wall now, but layers and layers. And we're, you know, more than a year into his presidency. So uh, it's instructive, but it's painful. And 
I can only hope that it will be over soon and we'll kind of get to a place where we don't have to feel so completely opposed to each other. Thank you so much. That was a great call, Patrice. And uh, well, I just uh, I haven't got a thing to add or subtract from it. We're almost done here. I don't think I dare take another caller because we're heading up to another one of these uh, pledge breaks. So um, instead, I want to I'll take a real quick story. Uh, <laughs> so we were doing I was doing this event at Real Artways a few weeks ago with this writer named Steve Allman. And the whole audience, the, first of all, it was about sort of a lot of this kind of stuff, you know, sort of where's the country headed and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so the, the, they got double the attendance that, that they thought they were going to get. My producers were there setting up chairs for the overflow crowd. And the whole crowd was just, you could just tell looking at them, you know, they were really, really upset about where the country is and very upset to be living in the Trump presidency. And understandably, I, I get all that. And just like almost, you know, I mean, just. It's almost a sickness, you know. You really feel kind of sick physically uh, about things that are happening that you really just can't live with. I also totally get that. So somebody was asking, like, what can you do? And so I, Steve had some kind of answer. And I said, you know, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I, I have this memory in the movie Gandhi <laughs> where um, this Hindu man comes to Gandhi in the middle of the most horrible strife and chaos. This Hindu man comes to Gandhi and he says, the Muslims killed my son. What can I do? And Gandhi says, find a Muslim boy whose parents have been killed and raise that Muslim boy as your own. But raise him as a Muslim. He's saying this to this grief-torn Hindu man. And it's just kind of a fabulous moment in this movie where Gandhi is asking this guy to do this almost impossible thing. But it's, the, it's also the healing thing, you know. And so I was saying that, that, you know, OK, you don't have to maybe bring up a Trump supporter's kid or anything as a Trump supporter. But maybe do something like this. And like two questions later, this guy says, uh, his parents are busy. And he goes, it seems like they fight real dirty. How can we learn to fight dirty and like punch harder? <laughs> And I said, you didn't really get that Gandhi thing I said a few minutes ago, did you? But it's it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for all of us to do. I don't do it any better than anybody else. I have my, my angry days. Uh, I might even have one of them today. Who knows? But I had a lot of fun talking to you, and I hope you had a lot of fun talking to me. We'll do this again. We'll do this more often than you might think. Now, if you valued this thing we just did, tell these people by making a pledge. <laughs> 